Consequence Podcast Network. The Psychoanalysis Podcast explores the ways that horror movies examine mental health issues. It deals with mature and sometimes disturbing subject matter, and it may not be suitable for all listeners. It is meant for entertainment purposes only, and not as a substitute for proper therapy. If you or a loved one are currently experiencing mental health difficulties, please contact your local mental health center. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is Psychoanalysis. This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. I'm Jen Adams. I'm Lara Unterstall. And I'm Mike Snoonian. And we are joined by a special guest today. He is a writer and the co-host of the Watched Once Never Again podcast, Dax. Welcome to the pod. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're so excited. Yay. Yay. Love that pageant wave. <laughs> oh, yeah, nice. no one can see my little pageant wave that I do at all times. Yeah, mm-hmm. You can imagine it because it's glorious. <laughs> so this is a comfort horror episode, and we define comfort horror as the scary movies that bring us joy. And I am so excited to talk about today's movie. Dax, what are we talking about today? <laughs> uh, we are talking about It Follows. Woo! It sure does. It <laughs> I'm trying to force some kind of lots of talking following. It's just not my joke isn't it's not working today. It's not my humor is not following me. Are you following? Um, (laughs) See, that's what I was looking for, man. (laughs) But before we dig in, uh, we're going to give a brief spoiler alert and you have to watch out because it could look like anyone. Ah! (laughs) And it's slow, but it's not stupid. So. Unlike me. Oh, um, no. <laughs> I was going to say just like me. <laughs> <laughs> We're all on the same page here, folks. All right. What else is in the news? Uh, today's synopsis. We open on a young girl fleeing from an unknown force. She drives to a beach. The following morning, we see her mangled body on the sandy shore. She's been leg murdered. <laughs> Next. Not the leg murderer. Oh, I I kept it in. I loved it so much. It just really made me laugh. Stupid. I love just leaving it. Just leg murdered. Uh, (laughs) I'm sorry. It's not funny that that death, she, you know, that. Well, when you put it that way. That's true. Uh, Sorry. Okay. Carry on. Okay. (laughs) Next, we meet Jay, a young lady going on a first date with a dude named Hugh. They go to a movie theater. Hugh, acting shifty, asks if Jay can see a woman in the crowd. She can't, which makes Hugh visibly nervous. They leave the theater. Later on, Jay and Hugh have sex in his car, which is parked in front of an abandoned building. In the afterglow, he chloroforms her. She wakes up tied to a wheelchair inside the building. We've all been there. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. If I had a nickel. Jay Jay tells her she's cursed now. Awesome. (laughs) As a woman who has had sex with men before, I can relate. (laughs) It, it, a shape-shifting monster only she can see, will follow Jay at a walking pace until it kills her, unless she passes on the curse by sleeping with someone else. If it kills her, it will return to the previous person in the bang chain, which would be Hugh. Basically, she's screwed. I'm sorry for introducing the phrase bang chain into this. (laughs) 
<laughs> we'll never be able to unhear it. Just, <laughs> Just then they see a naked woman walking toward them. The curse is real and weird as hell. Hugh flees and drops Jay back at home, traumatized AF. The next day at school, Jay sees an old woman in a hospital gown walking toward her. No one else can see her. Jay gets the fuck out of there. That night, Jay and her sister Kelly and her friends Paul and Yara decide to all spend the night in the same house to protect Jay. After the sound of breaking glass, Paul goes to investigate, and Jay sees a woman walking toward her. She's all jacked up and also pissing, which is extremely terrifying. She runs back to her friends, only to turn and see that the entity is now a tall and terrifying man right behind her. This sucks ass. Jay flees the house. (laughs) It does. Jay and her friends have had enough. With the help of their neighbor, Greg, they track down Hugh. They confront him and learn a little more of the story, but ultimately, there's nothing they can do. They drive to a lake house, where the entity takes on several forms to try and kill Jay, including her friend Yara. After she shoots it in the head with Greg's revolver, but it still keeps on coming, Jay drives away and ends up crashing her car into a tree. In the hospital, Jay decides to pass on the curse to Greg by having sex with him in the hospital bed, which I'm sure is a niche kink that made several (laughs) people happy when watching this film. (laughs) Oh, Greg also doesn't believe that the curse is real, so it's Mm. all fine. Paul is sad about this because he clearly has the hots for Jay. But Paul caught a lucky break here as Greg is almost immediately killed in a disturbing fashion. First, the entity takes on the form of Greg and enters his house. Then it turns into Greg's mom. Half naked, of Which course, and kills definitely Greg. Definitely a niche that makes a lot of people happy. <laughs> yeah, that, just based on the front page of any porn website, this is a more common yeah. one. Maybe not um, your own no mother, co- but yeah. No, no, it's always. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not pull too much. Follow on that the. <laughs> yeah, there's a count. There's an account on Instagram called Sex Is Cool that does some really funny comics, and uh, there's some commentary on that mm. there. Jay catches it having sex with Greg's dead body, which is frankly too much for her to mentally handle, so she once again flees and sleeps outdoors. Because why not? The curse is now reverted back to Jay. (laughs) The next day, Jay undresses and swims out to a yacht with some nice young fellows. (laughs) It's... I'm sorry, saying that out loud was very funny. It's implied that she's going to pass the curse around, but it's unclear if that happens or not. Back on land, Paul wants to help Jay by sleeping with her and taking on the curse, but she says no. Friend zoned again! (laughs) Jay and her remaining friends go to an abandoned swimming pool with a plan to lure the entity into the water and then electrocute it. Not sure why this will work when a gunshot didn't, but hey, you know, it's worth a try. (laughs) Jay wades in and waits in the water. The entity appears, this time in the form of her dead father, because this thing is a huge fan of Freud. (laughs) Instead of going after her, it guesses their plan and starts throwing electronic devices into the water. Jay's friends fight back by shooting guns at it, but because none of them can see it, they're shooting blind. Paul wounds Yara, but she's okay. Finally, he seems to shoot it successfully, and they use the old throw-a-sheet-over-a-ghost trick in order to target it. They shoot it again, and it falls into the pool. Jay, with her cursed sex monster vision, (laughs) put the emphasis on the wrong (laughs) syllable, Jay, with her cursed sex monster vision, (laughs) not cursed sex monster vision, sees the pool fill with blood. Finally, the entity is dead. Maybe, they think. Back at home, Jay and Paul finally have sex, sealing his fate. 
but he drives to a rough part of town, and it's implied that he sleeps with a sex worker. Uh, no comment. <laughs> we end with Jay and Paul walking down the street hand in hand, but someone, or something, follows behind them. Okay, I'll stop doing that. I promise. Yeah. It is. Yeah, it really gives you the warm fuzzies. <laughs> well, speaking of that, let's do our feelings check. <laughs> this is when we share our first experiences with It Follows and how it makes us feel when we watch it. Um, and Dax, I would love to hear why you chose this movie to talk about today. Well, one factor that went into my choice was that you already did one of my comfort movies. The first one that came to mind, which was The Descent. Oh, a lot of people don't understand why that's a comfort movie because it is very scary. (laughs) I get it. I love it. Um, But that's for a different podcast. (laughs) So when I first saw this movie, like from the opening scene, I just knew that I was in for it. So I got to see it in a theater. I was very lucky it was playing in a theater near me. And I'm like right in the middle and it just opens up around you. And even like, the first house that it shows it, it the house number is 1492 which is like oh it's like a new world you know Ooh. and that's legitimately how i feel every time i watch it like i just feel completely transported which mm-hmm. is very comforting to me because even though it's a very stressful movie it makes me completely focus on the movie you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. i do not think about whatever bullshit can i curse on this oh yeah go for it Uh, yeah yeah go for it please join me it doesn't make me it makes me just forget about all the bullshit that i'm dealing with and i Mm -hmm. solely focus on the movie because it's just like first of all it's unhinged Mm -hmm. like in such an organized like an organized (laughs) chaos which Uh is my brand really (laughs) Um, and um just like the water motifs i find like water very soothing so when i write or anything when i do anything really i prefer to be near water Mm -hmm. so when i watch this movie and there's so much water it's very like calming to me Mm -hmm. and then just like against the background of like that really terrifying music it just makes my brain light up Mm -hmm. and i just love it Mm -hmm. it's so fun we'll get into it i'm sure (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) as i told you i have a whole it follows propaganda so so excited Mike, what about you? So I I saw this at its premiere at Fantastic Fest in 2014. Um, so was really hyped to see it. I think the director was in the crowd. He did a Q&A after. And it's one of those movies that immediately like blew me away. And it's like a pretty audacious debut. It feels a lot like a classic John Carpenter movie. Um, mm-hmm. and particularly mm-hmm. the way it's shot. It very much has like that Dean Cundey kind of feel in terms of the look of the movie the color scheme of the movie and the way shots are framed in the movie um thematically it is swinging for a lot of different fences and if it doesn't knock it out of the park every time it gets some pretty solid cracks at it i always debate like is this movie about the perils of sex itself like does it take that trope of the slasher movie that sex equals death and then just kind of like turn that up exponentially or is it this idea that like death is all around us all of the time that no matter what we do you're 
even if you're able to avoid it, you're kind of just prolonging the inevitable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that the choices that you make, no matter what, like, yes, you might be able to stave things off for a little bit longer, but you're still going to come to like one final conclusion. And this is a kind of a, a really masterful way of kind of like exploring that metaphor. I read like a bunch of different takes on it. Like their takes on Paul seem to be all over the map, like whether or not he's a good friend or whether he's a bit predatory, which I don't quite understand myself. I so I'm kind of that. Yeah. I'm kind of interested to hear everybody's like take on the characters as they, and we heard that in the synopsis. Like we heard like, Oh, the no comment. And I'm in the back of my mind. I'm like, is what Paul did much different from what, jay does when she goes out to the boat mm-hmm. in both instances you don't see the aftermath of what's happened why are we assuming that one person gave in the temptation to the other and why are their actions different from one another if they did mm-hmm. so it's just kind of interesting exploring the politics of that a little bit as well but yeah it's a fascinating mm-hmm. movie I haven't seen his follow-up, like On Silver Lake, I think is the name of it, where I think he maybe gets a little bit too self-indulgent from what I've read. And I know that there's been talk of a follow-up to this movie, and I kind of hope there isn't. I kind of hope that it just stands as a near-perfect little indie horror movie that still, almost a decade later, get garners like a lot of discussion. What did you call it? It's still following? It, it following follows. it follows. It Follow-up. <laughs> circling back <laughs> gone circling back to my last email <laughs> right <laughs> Laura what about you well i agree with a lot of the reactions to the film from a sort of just film going perspective i saw i do remember this one i saw it in theaters cuz you know it was like the big theatrical experience of that year for horror and i was really excited to see it in a theater and it was it delivered on the experience i think this is a a movie that really benefits from being seen in a theater because it is so immersive and transportive transportive transportative yeah i don't know it transports <laughs> you and you know and a lot of that is to do with the way that it's shot mm-hmm. the music there is a mood to this movie that i think surpasses its content in terms of just feeling really dreamlike and pretty and soft. And there's just something about it, despite the fact that it's really disturbing stuff is going on. It has the quality of a dream where you're not sure if you're in a nightmare or not. And, you know, I also remember talking to my friend Jeremy when it came out and he's from the suburbs of Detroit and this was shot in the suburbs of Detroit. So it has that, you know, there's moments where they go into the city And you sort of get that like urban decay and like existing on the peripheries of a once thriving society and kind of being in the ruins of that. So you get a lot of those shots in like the abandoned building or when they go into the city. And, you know, so there's again, there's a lot like Mike said, there's a lot of themes going on here. And I don't know if it fully um, realizes all of them, but the 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 combined effect of all of it is just it's really dreamy. And I don't really know how else to describe it other than that. But so I I totally get why this would be a comfort horror movie, despite being really disturbing. And especially like once some of the initial scares have rubbed off, because like once you've seen it, you know that the pissing woman is going to come piss Mm -hmm. and yada, yada. So the the jump scare, because I remember being like really alarmed, you know, in the theater. But then once you've seen those scares, you can kind of just soak into the atmosphere a lot more. So I totally get why this would be a comfort horror movie. I 
just cannot wait to discuss those politics Mike was just referring to. <laughs> yeah, like, let's really just roll up our sleeves, put on our big politic bibs and dig yeah. in, crack it open, suck out the meat. There's a lot here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I have a... I don't know. I've had a journey with this movie. And the first time I watched it, I was like, this is awesome. I loved it because it was like so spooky and atmospheric. And then this is my third watch with it. And I think the first time I just kind of rented it and watched it at home because I'd heard that it was really good and scary. And then I watched it. um, And one of the things I'm kind of learning and I've talked about being like extremely empathetic before. And one of the downsides of that is like people with really strong like negative emotions really really color my responses sometimes and it's hard for me to cut because I've watched the second time I watched this I watched it with somebody who just really hated it and was very vocal about hating it and it was really hard for me to like counteract that you know it was also just a really stressful time in my life so you know this movie hits um a lot of really personal um things with me and kind of like I I have a hard time with Jay I think because I really really identify with her in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. that I don't necessarily that are are just hard for me to kind of examine sometimes you know so I just have a I don't know I think this movie is fantastic I think it's shot really well I think it is like really immersive it's one of those movies where if you start to really pull some of the details a lot of it unravels like there are some pretty glaring plot holes but I also don't care because like what (laughs) this movie gives me is like way more important than like what is this shell phone thing like I don't care what the shell phone thing is it's cool and it doesn't matter like it doesn't take away from what I can get from that plot and what I get is like I see this as a movie about trauma from sexual assault and that and just kind of trauma in general but specifically that and every time I watch it I see things that closely align with my experiences with things like in in my responses to it like years later and so I think like watching it at this time in my life after three years of therapy and like kind of talking and writing a lot about that like I was like oh like there's a part with the quilt that I was like ah that's a thing I recognize that I also really love um water I find it very soothing so I love the motif of water and like water as a safe space you know and Dax I don't know if you're watching Lisey's story but there is a lot of water as like comfort and emotional like transference there it's really cool so I what would recommend it? that is it a show? Lisey's story yeah it's on uh, Apple Plus it's a Stephen King adaptation I don't know I've never even heard of that it's it's really good but it is new yeah I think it's like halfway through the first season but yeah there's there's a really strong water connection there of like using that as a method of unpacking like traumatic memories you know which I think we kind of I don't know if it's quite the same thing but yeah I also find water very comforting and I've been talking a lot and I think those are my feelings (laughs) and um so so much of my propaganda by the way oh yeah well okay so So let's dig into the movie. And Dax, would you like to start off with your we're uh, you're a propaganda? I would love to hear it. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's not so much propaganda. I mean, to that point, I think a lot of people do take a lot of issue with this movie because they can't figure out where they are. They can't figure out what time period it is. So I I find that interesting because even you touched on the um the like little clamshell phone mm-hmm. which everybody mm-hmm. wants apparently it's cool uh, yes, it's, <laughs> it is so really cool. cool it's very vaporwave yeah uh i i just think that's all part of it i i don't know if i consider yes. that a plot hole or even an issue because i think it's all purposeful because mm-hmm. uh, like like you were saying before it's 
so dreamlike. You're mm-hmm. and like in a dream, you you know you don't know where you are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I was supposed to start. I just started with that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure where should we start. We could talk about how. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of big things we could talk about. Yeah, we have a lot of threads here. I mean, I'd be curious. You you mentioned Dax like sort of agreeing with Jen on her overall take on it as sort of an, a metaphor for trauma and se- trauma from sexual assault specifically. I'd be curious to hear a bit more about that because I think that, I mean, is obviously a theme of the film is is sexuality and consent. Mm-hmm. And all of that. So, and I, I sense that that might be along the lines of what you were thinking. If not, please correct me right now. <laughs> no, that is uh, what I was thinking. Actually, a lot of people fight me on that because they're like, no, it's about, you know, AIDS and that's it. Like, and, yeah, like every right. other movie, there's so many things it can relate to. Right. Like, it can, it does. Great movies give you more things to like, exactly. like tap into your own personal things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that. While that is totally, it totally fits. I think it's almost too simple. Mm-hmm. But like you, I also, I mean, we should note that the director, uh, David Robert Mitchell, he has said that it's like based on a dream. This movie is based mm. on, a, on a dream that he had. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And I don't think that it actually has like a solid meaning, mm-hmm. but he put it in the world and now I get to decide. Exactly. So- <laughs> yeah. Which, in my opinion, is, like, what art does. Right. <laughs> you know, like, I, oh, yeah. it doesn't have to have, like, this is the correct meaning and this is the incorrect meaning. It's, like, we're all bringing our own experiences to the table and interpreting and analyzing, especially this movie, which feels so mm-hmm. dreamy. And I think this is a good example of what horror can do. And it, it can really, um, you know, just provide a, a sounding board or, or, some, or a mirror for you to respond with your own thoughts and feelings yeah. and so i yeah i would love to hear yeah yours. the moment yeah. an artist releases his art to the world it no longer is their own any longer yeah. like it's open to interpretation for better or for worse for anyone that experiences it it becomes a completely subjective experience to the viewer to the listener so, that's yeah. the fun mm-hmm. yeah exactly mm-hmm. yeah that's why we yeah. have podcasts you know <laughs> exactly yeah I um I've always thought of it as like a metaphor for cycles of like trauma and abuse, um specifically probably sexual abuse, um just because mm-hmm. there are so many like um visual parallels to like things that people have gone through that um might experience. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like a big one is something I think that both of you pointed out, which which is like the pee monster. The the woman yes. who appears and she's like peeing. Obviously, when children go through sexual abuse, we it's probably well known that oftentimes they like pee the bed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Greg's mother monster also like she doesn't pee, but she like emits water. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're also a lot of them are wearing like pajamas, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. might indicate you know, some anxiety around going to sleep at night or, or nighttime mm. generally. Mm-hmm. The monster also, I have another like theory and it's probably not like a super uncommon one is that like your subconscious determines what it's going to appear to you as. Mm-hmm. So yes, Jay seems to think of her family a lot and we know it's her family based on like the pictures in the background and stuff that mm-hmm. like, Maybe the camera 
glosses over it real fast. Sometimes the camera like stops on it. The old woman, I I can't tell if it's her grandmother, but it looks like it might be based mm-hmm. on that one mm-hmm. picture that we see earlier in the film. But we know for sure that later on, her dad appears to her naked and um, in his underwear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So another like part of this movie is that there really are not very many adults mm-hmm. around. And mm-hmm. there's only, I, I can only think of one instance where the adult tries to be helpful. And it's mm-hmm. in the very opening scene. The rest the of the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. the dad in the opening scene. And then there's like a lady like emptying her trunk. Yeah. But, like, all the other adults seem to be, you know, drunk or mm-hmm. not around. Like, even if they're supposedly home, like, in mm-hmm. that scene with the pea monster, you know, mm-hmm. her mom doesn't come out, you know. Right. Right. Yeah. Nobody seems so. particularly concerned that they're gone for, like, days at a time. Yeah. You know? No one cares. Yeah. So I feel like that could be indicative of, like, um, a parallel to feeling like you're adult figures in your life don't understand or maybe can't be there for you the way that you need them to be mm-hmm. even if they're present mm-hmm. they're not like present in mind you know yeah the, i mean the, your characters in this movie are at a transitional age like they're at that yes. developmental stage where they've moved past adolescence and now into young adulthood like jay is a college student her younger sister is like maybe a year, maybe two behind her in high school. Like in her friend group is all mm-hmm. in that like 17 to say 19 year old age range. So you're at that point where you're striking out on your own. Like you're getting to, you're given more freedom and more responsibility, but you're given the ability to explore the world on your own a lot more. And you get to make like a lot more of your own choices, but you also for the first time have to live with the repercussions of those choices as well. Mm-hmm, like right. part of me of what this movie is about is like this movie, not just about like the sexuality of it and like choosing your sexual partners or who you give consent to or what your sexuality looks like, but it's just broader than that, that it's about how every choice that you make has a consequence to it. And it all kind of, they all lead back to one central point of being yourself like you're affected by everything you do mm-hmm. but for the first time and that's interesting where the you know the adults in this movie almost feel like the adults in like the peanuts cartoon where they're kind of <laughs> mm-hmm. like out of frame and out of focus and you don't really they don't really exist in a very concrete way um, and very much like for jay her siblings and her friends like it's very much like that as well like they're on their own making decisions on their own and they're not quite sure how do we kind of navigate this for the first time mm-hmm. or like a nightmare on elm street too mm-hmm. yeah yeah i was just thinking because we just didn't we just covered a uh, nightmare on elm street for another comfort horror so i was thinking of that but that movie is is very much explicitly themed on your parents can't yep. help you at some point yeah. you know whereas this feels i mean but it definitely reminds me of it it's the same kind of like inevitable like once this thing has set its eye on you you can't escape it and it also is like don't go to sleep this isn't explicitly about sleep and dreams but it feels Mm -hmm. like it is you know the things you do at night whether it's (laughs) sex or otherwise (laughs) well and i think like there's speaking partly like historically and partly for myself like with an older generation when we're talking about things like sexual assault there was a a big kind of um 
misunderstanding of what that actually is and like conflating like like this is the generation that would be more likely to ask what was she wearing you know so there's this element of like even if you could go to them they're not going to be supportive so like there is no safe adult because and I don't want to generalize an entire generation but I feel like there's a level of shame and lack of support just in general there so they're just kind of figuring it out on their own you know yeah I mean it was impolite exactly yeah yeah it's like those scare quotes there which i mean and and this movie opens with i mean you can definitely say that jay is assaulted Mm -hmm. by you even though even though she does have consensual sex with him it then becomes something not consensual immediately after and i think a lot of people from that generation would say like well she just slept with him i don't get it you know whatever and and that that's a common misconception as evidenced by the fact that these things are just becoming illegal you know like uh and there's, even now yeah. there's such an argument like people argue over whether or not that could be considered like sexual assault mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. in the movie i mean yeah. right um, which i think it's very clear that it is i think so too and that's <laughs> right. part of why i really like this movie is because i think it is a nuanced topic because so many times assaults like this are not clear cut, you know, and there is right. like, that's why for so long, um, like I just watched this, this episode of trial by media where a woman was like gang raped in a bar with men cheering and some of, and still she was blamed for it. And this was back in like, I think 1980 when the trial was happening, but like, mm-hmm. there's still a lot of that mindset. And I think like, it's these kinds of situations that move the conversation forward because we can clearly say, okay, what happened to her in the late seventies was clearly rape. This is clearly, I I think an assault as well let's talk about why it is why it might not look like an assault to everyone and talk about how like we can keep this kind of misunderstanding from happening again so that people aren't victimized in this way because I think yes she does give consent to sex but she's not giving informed consent because she doesn't know what that sex is going to entail you know even if nothing happened afterwards like it's still I believe, kind of an assault, you know? Yeah, that was kind of part of what I wanted to bring up, too, with Jay and Hugh, is that, yes, the sexual part is consent. Like, she obviously is open to sleeping with him, but he doesn't give her the full picture. And part of being able to give your consent is also, it doesn't mean that you have to disclose, like, your complete sexual history, like, every time you sleep with a person. But Mm -hmm. if there is, like, mitigating circumstances that could affect the other person, then you kind of owe it to any new partner at that point to say, like, hey, this is, these could be the potential side effects or consequences, um, and then allow that person to make a decision. I mean, she very much could have said, like, okay, like, sure, there's, like, some crazy nightmare demon that comes after you sure sure whatever let's go anyway i'll take that risk although why would you which is kind of what greg does later in the film you know he's like right because he doesn't believe her i'm more prone to believe that someone like greg would be sure 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 whatever like you know crazy sex demon and jay would have been yeah absolutely and and that's the whole reason why hugh ostensibly does what he does because he knows you know that if he doesn't do this and i mean obviously we can get into the absurdity of (laughs) this particular circumstance you know i I, i'm almost stopping myself from going too far down the logical rabbit hole of this because it's absurd however i mean i think that that like getting into the i mean and let me just state that i i don't think it's okay for jay to go past a sex demon onto a bunch of guys in a boat 
like uh, without their knowledge. I just want to make that clear. But the why the the sex worker thing rubbed me the wrong way is you know these 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 things don't exist in a vacuum, right? Like and and there's a long history of sex workers being exploited, abused, hurt. It's probably the most dangerous profession, you know. So so the idea of Paul knowingly taking this on from Jay and then going and passing it on to a group of people who are historically exploited and abused rubs me a little bit worse than, than Jay who has been thrust into this and is desperate and feeling like her life is threatened and did not consent to Mm -hmm. this in a, in a desperate last move trying thinking or considering passing it on to some dudes in a boat. I just think that those are emotionally different. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that it's okay for Jay to do that. And the, and the thing is, is the film doesn't, give us any clarity one way or the other about what actually happens. So it's kind of a, a little bit of a moot point, yeah. but I'm just clarifying my thoughts. Yeah. On I think it's a <laughs> I'm with fair you point. Too. I can't really argue against that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I think also Paul, like throughout the movie shows, he really doesn't have any respect for women, which is another part of why it seems so pointed that he goes for the sex workers. Cause he's like, Oh, no one will care about, these people mm-hmm. you know and how how does paul show that he doesn't have any respect for women you might ask <laughs> i was going to ask <laughs> yeah. i think because his whole goal for the entire movie is to sleep with jay like he doesn't even care like he believe he fully believes there's a sex monster and he does not care about it all he wants to do is like have sex with jay to the point where when she has sex with greg a person that she's already been with before that they kind of allude to that he's like but i want the sex monster demon like you know what i mean like why can't i get it Mm -hmm. you know i feel like that is uh it just shows that he does not actually have any respect for jay and they, they even say when they were younger he kissed jay and then like kissed her sister like he just like wants to get at everybody I don't know. I mean, everybody does stuff when they're younger, but I yeah. just think at his age, it seems really calculated that his whole goal is to sleep with Jay, despite whatever sex monster there may be. Yeah, he does seem very fixated on on this, even given all of the risks, which part of me, I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of look at Jay and I have, because I hear what you're saying and I kind of I kind of agree. I think I kind of look at it I forget about the sex monster part of it, honestly, sometimes. And I think like, because to me, it feels like, who am I pulling into this web of trauma that I have, you know, because like unpacking a lot of my own like trauma, like that's hard. And that is, has definitely affected every relationship for like the last 12 years of my life, you know, and it has affected my husband a lot. And so I see Paul willing to take that on with her, you know. Um, and being somebody that she can talk to about that and I mean I guess that kind of removes his motivations of wanting to be with her because yeah he is jealous that somebody else gets to take on this sex monster with her but I think like I don't know you're being much kinder to him than I am (laughs) I think if Paul didn't care about Jay if he was only interested in sleeping with her then the minute that like Jay chose Greg. I'm blanking on names. Yeah, the that's minute the name that like she Greg. chooses Greg over him, he would have been like, "Peace out, I'm out of here." But he and he also like Paul believes her right away. Like Paul never I doubts guess. her story. Uh, but where that Greg would break is his like, nice guy facade. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I think the nice guy facade though, is that point to not believe, you know, and if Paul didn't want to be, to really kind of pursue the friendship after he could have just said, all right, you're choosing him over me. I'm out of here. I'm done at that point. And he stands with her despite, you know, a lot of other things. And the whole idea of like, well, she kissed, he kissed Jay and then her sister. Yeah. He was like 13 years old. Like, God forbid, you know, we're going to be carrying the things we're like when we're 13 that we do that are silly when we're like 18, 19, 20 years old. Like there's def- definitely def- different developmental different developmental stages there. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with that. It's it's just a history of him, you know, kind of casting Jay's feelings aside to me. But yeah, I mean, you're right. You can't like base his adult self on his 13 year old self. Yeah, I think. I don't know if I would say it's that he doesn't respect women per like just writ large, but I definitely think he has a fixation on Jay that is something he should unpack (laughs) and that isn't necessarily serving either of them in the long run. Um, I, I do think it's, it's, it's complicated. It's like, if he's, if he's just like, I'm just going to stay by her side until she's so, at such a low point that she'll be with yeah. me. I think that that's kind of a, almost like an archetype of the, and that's kind of why I was joking in the outline about getting friend zoned and stuff like that, because I think it's a little bit of a, it's almost like a stereotype or an archetype of like the best friend that just like waits around like a puppy dog until, and then that sort of is like, what is that saying about how you view Jay as a person? Um, are you, you know, it, I think that it's, it makes me uncomfortable on a level that I can't quite articulate. Mm-hmm. And I don't, so I don't have any like strong conclusions that I'm drawing here. I'm not about to say that I have some really hard or hot take on this. I'm just saying I get where you're coming from, Dax, and like getting those those vibes yeah. from him. And I just think that it's it's complicated because no. I think at some point in our life, we've all played the role of Paul. And at some point in our life, we've all played the role of yeah. Jay in an interpersonal dynamic that is not healthy. Yeah, that's definitely fair to say. I'm much closer yeah. to Jen's reading of it is that Paul is someone that she can like lighten the load a little bit. Like he's able to take some of that burden off of her by listening to her. And he offers to take that load multiple times from her. Oh boy, <laughs> that didn't come off. As... <laughs> but... I'm sorry. I had to be yes. five. Um, I had to be the Beavis yes. to your butthead or the he's butthead like, to your Beavis. You know, so, but he offers to kind of lift that load from her. And even when she says no, like he still does the best he can to stand by her. And it's, I think fitting right. like when she eventually concedes to have sex with him, it's after they think like this trauma has passed over. Like they think that it's finally over at that point. And that doesn't mean that Paul and Jay are soulmates and they're going to be together forever. You know, it just means that they've shared this one intimate moment. And I don't know what the future is really going to bring for them. Well, and that's kind mm-hmm. of what I wanted to say a little bit about Paul, because I think one of the things I think is I, I really like about his character is that there are a lot of different interpretations of him. And I'm kind of like at war with them both in my mind, because I think he's just really immature, you know, Yeah. yeah. and he mm-hmm. is taking because and I have a whole soapbox about the friend zone, too, because I think that it is bullshit and I think it objectifies women and commodifies women and relationships and yes. I could go yes. down a hole. Road. <laughs> but 
That's kind of what I was trying to get at without doing a good job of getting at it. But <laughs> well, yeah, I've go been ahead. <laughs> raving in my brain about that for years. Um, but yeah, he he's just he seems very immature, and I feel like he is offering to help take this <laughs> uh, take this burden with her. <laughs> Um, but he also, I feel like he has a really immature understanding of what that is. And mm-hmm. like, we yes. see them walking down the street, holding hands. And that, that part always makes me cry. Um, but we don't see the next day and we don't see the next month and we don't see the next year. Like when this thing comes for Jay, how is he going to respond? And we don't see how he responds in that way. And like the moment in the, in the bedroom, I can't remember the actual words, but he does try to kiss her without asking if he can kiss her, which I mean, I get, I feel like a lot of people don't realize that you can ask for consent to kiss people or that that is something Mm -hmm. that you should ask for, you know? Um, It's just not really part of our cultural understanding of consent that that can like, can you, can you just ask if you're going to touch me? You know, that's something that in unpacking a lot of my trauma, I've had to talk about, like, can you tell me before you're going to touch me? Can you like ask for that kind of consent? And I think he just doesn't, doesn't quite get that, which leads me to wonder how supportive he is going to be for Jay down the road. But I mean, that's the kind of thing that you never, you don't know how you're going to be able to handle it until you're there. You know, like you don't know what you're going to do. I think Greg is far worse because like Greg basically exploits Jay's situation. He's like, Oh yeah, yeah, you want to, you want to get rid of this thing? Sure. And he uses, I mean, he, yeah, he basically says, you know, <laughs> jump. We're going to take a ride down to the the you know the bone zone, basically. The bone zone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's the that was the working title of this film, the bone zone. Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> Had a hard time getting distribution with that title. There. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just that he exploits Jay at her lowest point and mm-hmm. takes advantage of her, and you see greg throughout the movie like with other women and that that's fine but you know i think he kind of leads jay on more than a little bit Mm, i I agree they're kind of like the two types of guys there's like the nice guy i mean not that there's only two wait right not that there's (laughs) only two types types of guys okay but it's the two types of like predatory guys where there's the nice guy who is befriending you and looks like someone you know and Mm. you know um is trying to get close to you i think that's that's like part of that parallel there Mm -hmm. and then there's the other guy who's like yeah yeah yeah, sure sex demon um okay let's like have sex you Mm -hmm. know and and the bad boy versus right and doesn't you know try to make you think that he i mean i think greg does care about her to some extent but he's not like oh i have this like endless love for you and you know like paul Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i did want to just clarify like they are young but like i'm yeah. watching it through my adult eyes mm-hmm. so i just i just mm-hmm. don't like it like, yeah you know, like i yeah. rebuke it yeah there's this <laughs> form of criticism now where everything is either the best or the worst like mm-hmm. this person like yeah. this person is a complete black hat and there are no like every person has different shades to them like we all have things that we need to work on they're all all ways we need to improve but we all have our strengths as well and i just hear this a lot on so many different shows where it's like oh well this character is the absolute worst and here is why and it's just like eh can we maybe kind of like dive a little bit deeper and yeah all the characters exist in like this gray area because i'm a lot of them do things that are not okay i mean like you were both saying like jay also does some shitty things too yeah even just Mm -hmm. sleeping with paul knowing that she's gonna give him this sex demon Mm -hmm. thing that's shitty 
Yeah. And I think, you know, as an audience, of course, we've all been in the gray area, it, morally speaking. You know, we've all, mm-hmm. like you were saying before, we've all been the Jay. We've all been Paul. Probably mm-hmm. some of us have been Greg. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so... Yeah, and some of us have been the sex demon, which is <laughs> I still you know, am. something I'm going to reveal to you all now. Anyway, the sex no, demon for Halloween last year. <laughs> <laughs> well, and speak and in, in which no, form wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> <laughs> well, and speaking of characters that are um, all or nothing, can we talk a little bit about Hugh? Because sure. I found yeah. him more sympathetic this time watching mm. it, and I mean, I know yes, he is. He does some terrible things. And I think we could compare what he does to what Paul does and to what Greg does when they're faced with this same threat. But I found myself thinking, like, what should he do? Like, what is the right way to handle this? Like, should he just die? You know, and I'm not making a moral judgment on that because I think we can agree, like, passing this on to someone else is wrong because, you know, you are sentencing them to the same kind of torment. But I mean, should he just die? You know? I mean, that's kind of the quandary of this whole film, right? It's like, what would any of us do if given this choice? Like, you know, you never know how you're going to behave in a life or death situation until you're in the life or death situation. So like, it's kind of like a terrible curse in in a lot of ways, because it's not just you're being cursed to death, but there's an out. Right. And you get to choose whether or not you take that out. And that's a terrible, terrible choice to put on any person. Mm Um, so it's kind of it's worse than just sentencing someone to death in a way because it's like guess what now you get to find out what kind of person you yeah. are and I think that a lot of people who experience trauma or end up in these kind of situations whether you're a war veteran or somebody that just was walking down the street and something terrible happened to you guilt becomes a huge part of the trauma and having to live with the choices that you make in those life or death moments when really a lot, a lot of studies show that when you're Put to the test of whether you're going to do something heroic or not do something heroic. It's more instinctual than it is a higher order brain choice that you mm. make. I'm going real <laughs> deep here, and I apologize. I, you know, but again, getting pretty far away from what Hugh does here. But I think it's just an it's an interesting existential question. So in that sense, it's like you can't really 100% blame any of these characters for for what they do, yeah. right? Because they're just being kind of thrust into this cycle of death that they didn't ask yeah. for. And they're all victims and they're all the monsters. And that's what people mm-hmm. are. Yeah. And I think here you can just break down in some fine detail the gender politics of what each one of them does, you know, Q being the most obvious choice. Yeah. And I want to say just for the record, I am not excusing what Hugh does. And I'm not saying he is not maybe the biggest villain aside from the monster. Just want to be very clear. I just also mm-hmm. want to, you know, it's like lots of times when we have abuse the abuser has suffered abuse themselves, no. you know. Right. Even if Hugh sacrifices himself, it doesn't end the curse. Mm-hmm. Like, it just, it just, just goes, goes back, back down, down the, chain. the chain. So there's really not much. Even if he were to have a moment of tremendous self-sacrifice, like, it wouldn't really amount to much because it's going to just keep going on at that point. Yeah, which is kind of going, that's kind of going back to your re, what you said at the, in your feelings check of like, is this a representation of just death, yeah. you know, and, mm-hmm. you know. Sure. And still, it, it's still a representation of like trauma mm-hmm. because no matter what you do, it's going to be with you forever. Mm-hmm. You can't really escape it. And some people do try to like not pass it on, but try to get, 
get rid of the feelings mm-hmm. by like acting on them in the yeah. same manner mm-hmm. and i like that yeah. obviously yeah you're not going to get rid of it that way either no matter what you do it's still going to come back to you yeah uh, it follows it, you that's like part of the bleak that's like the bleakness of this movie and i think why a lot of people i think most people like this movie i'm choosing <laughs> to believe that uh-huh. but uh <laughs> I think that a lot of people do have a problem with bleak movies generally, and I think that's probably part of why people are so turned off by this movie. No pun intended. Mm-hmm. But, uh, <laughs> uh, they just don't like, you know, that inevitable uh, inevitability. Right. And I think, like, if you set out to make a movie about trauma and came to this conclusion, I would push back on it a little bit and be yes. like, there are things you can mm-hmm. do to mitigate the effects of your trauma and take care of yourself. And there's, you know, especially now, due to the work of some of the most fabulous people that ever walked this planet, um, lots of new therapeutics and ways of addressing trauma. But that isn't what this filmmaker set out to do. This filmmaker set out to bring a nightmare to life, which he did very effectively. And I think it's a really interesting thought exercise. And it's, it's a testament to its power that you want to read all of these experiences into it. That's how I think you know you're looking at good Mm -hmm. art. When I work with patients that have suffered trauma, especially if it dates back to their childhood and they're still either dealing with it head on for the first time as an adult or trying to cope with the after effects of it, you know, well, you, I'll usually ask one of two questions, like, how do you want to pursue this? Like, do you, how do you feel like your functioning day to day is like, do you need a hand right now of just like getting up in the morning and getting through your day and getting all your stuff done. And then we can dive into your past. Or do you feel like you really need to dive into the effects that hurt you in the past? And usually we start with the former, not the latter. And there are persons Mm -hmm. that have developed, like, like Laura said, like a number of coping skills where they may carry their trauma with them, but they've been able to kind of minimize the impact it has on them. And I think, Dax, to your point, what you said, I see this a lot online. What you were saying is like persons like act out on their trauma and they go on to traumatize other people and abuse other people, but then they lean on their trauma almost like a crutch. Like it's like, oh, well, I have X, Y, and Z. That's why I'm acting like this. It's like, no, Mm -hmm. you may have X, Y, and Z, but that doesn't give you carte blanche to hurt other people as well. Like you need to be able to kind of cope and deal with it and not use this as like a mitigating circumstance. But it is something I I agree with you. I think we do see persons that haven't developed that sense of coping, just use it as a way to kind of hurt other people because it helps them feel better. Like they may not feel good, but because someone else is hurting, they themselves feel a bit better. Well, Mm -hmm. and there's a feeling of not wanting to be alone too, you know, like wanting Mm -hmm. to have someone else know how it feels, which is, you know, I feel like especially with sexual assault, like it's such like a a secret thing a lot of times. And there are a lot of really valid reasons why people don't want to talk about it and don't want to share. So that's when when I see like the temptation, like Jay really, really resists spreading this, you know, Mm -hmm. and she just kind of I feel like that's that's the only real out that she sees other than just kind of giving her life over to it. And like speaking of to like the power of this movie, I think there there really aren't clear answers and there aren't really clear answers in life other than like mm-hmm. toppling the patriarchy. But um, <laughs> that, like I, I love that like it brings all of this up and it allows us to kind of examine. Um, and I feel like I was going somewhere and I can't remember where I was going, but. 
And I mean, he said something interesting there to me about being alone. Um, the cruel nature of trauma is that it gets you stuck in a memory or stuck in a series of memories or moments of time. And it leaves you alone mm-hmm. there with them kind of just preying on you. And a lot of times people, you know, struggle to co- ha- make connections and have healthy relationships and interpersonal dynamics in the wake of trauma. And this movie, now that you mention it, like, Jay is surrounded by this support system that is that is helping her, not just Paul, but also, you know, her sister and Yara, these people like who really have no reason to stay with her through this other than they care about mm-hmm. her. You know, um, I mean, it, there's a lot of people who would just flee in the face of something so overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't really have a conclusion that I'm drawing here, but I think that is definitely a theme in this movie is that like the way that something your trauma will like track you down and isolate you and break you mm-hmm. down mm-hmm. and the the potential benefit of leaning into a support system and having people that that help you through it but that that's a double-edged sword and and it can be very hard to engage with people in a healthy fashion when you are experiencing or have experienced yeah. trauma yeah. again i have no big <laughs> conclusion i'm drawing from this just i'm just saying words well, that go ahead Oh, no, you first, guys. All of us. <laughs> Go ahead, Dax. <laughs> we all have I was going to say, notably, you know, none of them can really help or understand until they've each gone through it. Mm-hmm. Was that yeah. what we were all going to say? Oh, <laughs> I, do. I was going to look at some of the, the visual language of this film and how it depicts Jay's state of mind after um, Hugh's assault on her. Number one, you have like the neighbors who see Jay come home and they see the police at the home and the mother's reaction is like, those people are such a mess. Like the reaction isn't like, Oh my God, something (laughs) terrible must have happened to them. I hope they're okay. Like we should go check on them. It's like immediately the blame goes right to the victim without Mm -hmm. any consideration. Like something could have happened. The cops who question her make it out to be like, she's the one that did something wrong, but -hmm. you see her interacting with the doctor in the hospital and the doctor barely interacts with her she jay's just like another number in a long line of persons like just kind of getting through the line step one step two step three okay you're all set move on like it's an assembly line that never factors in the individual the perspective of the camera shifts and this is where i think you see a lot of like the dean cundy influence in the way this is shot is there are a lot more wide angle shots after the assault of Jay. And what you're getting is like her perspective of the world around her, where these previously safe spaces for her, like her pool, where she got to like float in the pool on a nice kind of warm day. And when the two like 10 year old boys are kind of like peeking in on her at first, she's like, yeah. Oh, you boys. Mm -hmm. Now it's like that space is no longer safe for her. And you see, how much visual information she's trying to take in all at once. You see it in the courtyard. And that's watching this movie. I'm always trying to pick out like, okay, where is it right Mm -hmm. now? Like, can I find it? Mm -hmm. You see her like always scanning and never feeling like she can be safe anywhere any longer. Which is hypervigilance, which happens after a trauma. You know, it's actually, that's actually brilliant. Yeah. And we talked about that, I think in our invisible man episode, And that was something that I noticed a lot this time, too, of like not wanting Mm -hmm. to be in enclosed spaces, wanting to make sure you have several different exits, which is something that I do and I followed. And I love um, there are times when the camera is 
just on Jay, like when yeah. he's moving her around in the wheelchair. So we just see her reaction. There are times like when she's driving through driving through the cornfield or whatever that field is, like we just see what she is seeing and it's a very chaotic kind of threat. And I think that really kind of gets you cool. into her mindset. Like what is she seeing right now? And I think now that I'm thinking about it, I think this movie does kind of have a lot of parallels with the invisible man, like yeah. really kind of getting you into the the mind space of the of Jay and what it feels like and I like I kind of have this this obsession recently with like making emotional pain visible on screen and I just wrote this thing about um uncertified forgotten about this with Daniel isn't real and the Babadook and I think when you can effectively do that it makes your movie so powerful like I look at, at the the lady who's peeing the pee monster and I think, okay, because especially with the nature of Jay's assault, like there are not very many physical wounds on her body from her interaction with Hugh. But that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. And that doesn't mean that there is not pain on the inside. So I see her looking at that woman who's peeing and like half dressed. And I'm like, okay, that's what she feels like inside. And that's what it's manifesting. Mm -hmm. That's why this is the monster she's seeing right now. And I think it's just really a really subtle way of capturing like this feeling of like, I'm there's something wrong with me I'm broken you know and being violent exactly and like not being able to get this out of her head you know yeah there's um the moment too like in terms of like visualizing someone's pain on screen when they're all sitting in a half circle with Hugh and he's kind of explaining like the history of the creature like Jay's half listening and she's arranging these like really thin blades of grass like around her knee and mm-hmm. it very much looks like little vertical slashes and it yep. kind of mm-hmm. gives that visual representation of her cutting herself and mm-hmm. cutting and self-harm more often than not is let it's not about wanting to injure yourself and it's not necessarily about like having suicidal ideation but it's about having an outlet because like the emotions you feel inside are so overwhelming and so traumatic that in order to distract yourself from them you create physical pain and Mm -hmm. usually that is cutting or other self-injurious behaviors which yeah i love that reading of uh of those like blades of Mm -hmm. grass ah i didn't even just the word right yeah yeah that scene always makes me laugh (laughs) because uh (laughs) He was like, do you guys see that girl right there? And they're all like, yeah. yeah, <laughs> Right. <laughs> that, yeah. Um, something I love about this movie, I mean, it's a little off topic, but you, you can always find something new. Like mm-hmm. almost every, I've seen this movie, as you can probably guess, too many times probably. <laughs> but even I've rewatched it, uh, a part of it this morning, and I noticed something I'd never noticed before. And it was, um, you know, that that gorgeous shot of the house, the abandoned house where the kids like go to investigate Hugh mm-hmm. and Jay turns around and looks at that other house behind it. I never noticed this before, mm-hmm. but there's a person there watching her and it almost looks like Hugh's oh. mom who she sees when she first like contracts Ooh. it and, and mm. he's or not Hugh's mom. No, oh. it is Hugh's mom. Sorry, I'm getting the moms mixed up. Okay, <laughs> so too many moms. You know when honest, not you enough, know when yeah. Hugh like <laughs> yeah, when Hugh first gives her the thing and she's in the wheelchair, she sees that mm-hmm. naked woman coming mm-hmm. up. That's Hugh's mom. Yeah. And <gasps> the person watching I never made her, that connection before. <laughs> yeah, that's why she like looks at her all weird cuz like her first meeting of her was like when she was like butt naked. Mm. Uh when when she opens the door, oh. Jay's like 
looking God, at her. God, that. Too I many times. That too That's many awesome. times. But when she turns around in, at the abandoned house, it looks like Hugh's mom is watching her. However, you know that in the scene where she goes to Hugh's actual house, they're in that big field out back. So it can't mm-hmm. be out back of that house. That's something mm-hmm. that like mm-hmm. really like trips me out about this movie is like you literally you cannot like get a grip on where you are at any point and Mm -hmm. like a lot of people Mm -hmm. take issue with that but i find it actually comforting that i can't figure out where i am i don't know what time period is i don't even know what the weather is because they're all Mm -hmm. wearing different shit right like (laughs) i love that but yeah i mean i I just thought of that when you brought up uh the blades of grass yeah you know i I try not to go too far down the like other people's takes rabbit holes with movies, especially right before I'm about to analyze or talk about it. Cause I don't want to have my like perspective tainted, I mm-hmm. guess. So it just, it, it baffles my, me that people don't like that about this movie. Yeah. Like, you know, to me, that's this movie's one of the movie's biggest strengths is it's dreamy trippy quality, you know, that leaves you not totally sure what time it gives it a timelessness, which I think a lot of like if the, if her shell phone was like an iPhone six or something, whatever Agreed. was popular in twenty fourteen, that would immediately date it to that moment in time. And and I love that it feels like it's taking place in a in a world outside of yeah. time. And I think there's also an element know. of dissociation too that it's kind of modeling mm-hmm. like if for Jay I imagine there's going to be a clear like paradigm shift between the event like before the event and after and like it is kind of harder to like know who you are after that. And like the the scene that always gets me is when she's looking at herself in the mirror and she looks like down her underwear yes. and I've cried on podcasts about that scene before. Um so I'm not going to now but um yeah, it's just this idea of like, like, I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know what, like the safety I just kind of assumed every day is gone. And I don't know who that lady is in the window or if she's even there and maybe, and that's the whole, like, can any, it's brilliant that she's the only one that can see the monster, you know, because it's mm-hmm. like, is this a person I know that is safe or is this a straight, is this stranger going to attack me? It's just like, there's this paranoia and hypervigilance that you live with every day. Um, that you know comes uh-huh. and goes and you know I guess sometimes yeah. it's more present than not but yeah it's just it's it's really smart and I think the reason it's smart is because he wasn't intending it to be smart he just like kind of wrote the story about human characters and how they would respond it feels sometimes when you don't go into something with an agenda you accidentally kind of tap into this collective unconscious and like these things that are sort of universally mm-hmm. true uh, as a writer or filmmaker i I'm, I'm, I say that I have no idea if that's actually true, but it feels true to me. In the <laughs> yeah, moment, you so. said <laughs> your use of the word agenda made me realize that I said propaganda earlier when I oh. meant agenda. <laughs> well, I took it as tongue yeah. in cheek, uh, but also propaganda. No. You know, I thought you were going to be like, I have a point of view and I'm going to sway you to my yeah, side. Yeah, I stand by it then. how I interpreted <laughs> the words of propaganda. Yeah. yeah, I think it works. I um, What you said about uh, how people like take issue with the timelessness it's so strange to me because they take that as like a a plot hole like mm-hmm. or like the movie breaks its own rules but like mm-hmm. the movie doesn't have any rules like yeah like right. dreams don't have rules hugh mm-hmm. does not know what he's talking about like he's just right. gleaning yeah. all this information he's just as guessing. he goes yeah cuz probably no one told mm-hmm. him about it you know mm-hmm. uh he probably just like, he had to figured figure it, it out, out and, then and all these kids yeah. are just figuring it out that i don't know what's not to love i love that 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, if it would, if it tried to apply too much logic to itself, it would just suck. It would just be, it would yeah. take all the air out of it. Yeah, like, yeah. so many people have said that to, to me, and I've heard people say that. They're like, oh, well, there's no, like, uh, the movie doesn't follow its own logic or its own rules. I'm like, what rules, bud? Right. Where? Yeah, rules like, where? It's life, man. Life doesn't <laughs> yeah. have rules. Also, it's a sex monster. Like, this isn't yeah, real. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's out. fine. Yeah. We're all fine yeah. with that part. Exactly. You have a problem right. with the the whatever, like the yeah. ten TVs stacked mm-hmm. on each other, and they're all playing like black and white movies. Like right. I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> squares, nothing but squares. <laughs> Sorry, if you're if you out there are listening to this and feel like a square, I did not mean to alienate you as yeah. a square. Just, <laughs> it's just how I feel. I didn't mean to yell about rules. Oh no, you're fine. <laughs> There's certain <laughs> rules when it comes it's- to talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. The thing that I that stood out to me this time that I hadn't noticed before was that who would you trade places with? Game, you know, mm-hmm. which I think. Oh, that, that always yeah. stands out to me. I because I feel like th- that moment is the one that always makes me mm-hmm. want to cry because I also want to feel like a child that has like endless possibility in front of them. It's something I think about constantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah and like just <laughs> I think that's a response to trauma a lot of times. Like, oh, that that person's happy. I wonder what that would be like. You know, I could just trade places. And it's interesting that Jay brings that, that too. Like, it's not something that he brings up on their date. It's something she brings. And I wonder if he's like looking at her thinking, okay, maybe she's somebody who could actually fight this and give me some time. You know, I mean, I think he Mm -hmm. probably still would have enacted his plan regardless, but you know, maybe that's why he decides to give her a heads up about it and not just leave her. Yeah, could be. Well, actually it's in his interest. Never mind. I take that back. It's in his interest for her to because otherwise it comes yeah. back to him. I take it all back. <laughs> Did he try to give it to the person in the first scene? Was that like who she was sleeping with? Is I that think implied? Because I feel like there's a picture of them. Yeah, like at the high school photo, I think. I yes. think it's implied that that's her. I don't know how explicitly that's ever stated. But yeah, that's that's the reading I got, which just makes me really sad for her, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, what an oh, opening. That opening is just, speaking of like, you don't, like I love how the the POV of the, I'm sorry, maybe POV is not the right thing to say in this movie. The the point of view of the camera, like shifting around because we're looking at the camera and she's just want, circling it and we don't know what the monster is. And I love the shot of her looking like she's sitting on the beach and she's looking at her car with the red lights and we just don't yes. know. Like we think yeah. something's going to come, but we don't know what it's going to be. It's just gorgeous. Yeah. And then that hard cut to the like her body yeah, mangled. Like, like, yeah, that's that's a that's like a murderer one. strikes again. <laughs> <laughs> Like yeah. Murder. Yeah. yeah, I love all those shots of us not seeing the monster. That's so great. Even in the movie theater, mm-hmm. that's such a like weird, disorienting, like creepy scene because uh, we can't see mm-hmm. what he's seeing, mm-hmm. and they're yeah. Just, I have so many fun facts in just that scene alone. Yeah, didn't isn't that the theater where they for like uh, Evil Dead premiered? I heard. Is it? I think so. Really? And they're watching charade. Drop all the trivia. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Oh yeah, I could with see the that. Little, uh, Oregon. I'm really bad with like together. film trivia. Yeah, it's whenever I'm on Halloweenies, I feel like a oh. moron because there are just like <laughs> fonts Stop. of trivia. So, so drop all the trivia on me. That's all I got for now. <laughs> oh, okay, that's I fine that's too. <laughs> well, I kind of wanted to talk about um, emotional intimacy, <laughs> if we can, because <laughs> I see that as something that um, that comes out and because if you look at like she has three different partners in this movie 
And I think you can see like a trajectory of her relationship with sex based on mm-hmm. what has happened to her. Because when she's with Hugh, it's like this really kind of loving relationship. And she's like looking in his eyes and like kissing his face and like. What do you mean, Paul? No, Hugh at the beginning, like in the car. Oh, at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like when she's having okay. sex with Hugh, like it's real. it's like this really tender, sweet moment you know if you don't know what's going to happen after and then she's just kind of talking and he like climbs on top of her and you think it's going to be like round two or something and then and then it's not at all but um and then later when she's with Greg like she shifts her eyes away and it's like I'm waiting for this to be over waiting for this to be over you know and that you know not to give too many details away, a lot of this like kind of mimics a lot of the the <laughs> a lot of my recovery from stuff. And then when she's with Paul, the thing that I noticed about the quilt was um, she has a quilt over her the entire time, and you can't even really tell mm-hmm. what she's wearing, you know. And that's it's been a yeah, response really. that I've had is like really feeling really cold and exposed, you know, and just wanting to like even if I'm starting to feel more comfortable doing things, like I still it it's just so funny how it mimics that you know without being Uh intentional about it you know and that's that's what I think the the kind of because I was I didn't like Jay for a long time when I was watching this movie because it's like she's not she's not beating anything she's not empowering herself but I think like that that going through the motions of that trajectory and like finding the ability to be intimate with other people that's like a form of empowerment that she can find that makes me kind of appreciate that her story a lot more I don't necessarily like walk out like hooray you know but it's like she's holding hands with Paul you know and she's she's pushing herself to grow and heal which is like a lot more realistic to or true to life than a lot of movie heroines that are like turned into total action hero badasses Mm -hmm. like halfway through the movie which is I think as I've mentioned before, uh, a standard that is really hard to live up to and can, you can spend a lot of time beating yourself up thinking like you're not badass enough or mm-hmm. something when you're in the in the face of horrific life circumstances. Yeah. I love that reading. I always took her looking out the door as like she's trying to see if like the monster is coming. But mm-hmm. I like that reading a lot more. It, mm-hmm. it, it's supports, sort of disengaging. Yeah, it further supports the uh, sexual assault, like reading of the whole movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. eye contact is terrifying <laughs> in a lot of ways. It yeah, is. and yeah. I found like kissing is a very intimate, emotional thing. You know, it's a way of connecting with people that is very personal, and like you're you're not sharing just your body, like you're sharing like this intimate part of yourself. You know, and I think like. The thing that struck me on this and kind of going back to the who would you trade places with thing, like there have been a couple of times that I've asked Corey, like, do you wish that you had married someone else? You know, do you wish you could not have been pulled into this, this, like, I think of it as like a web of trauma, you know, and he always, of course, says no, but it's just one of the, like, you, you just have to get through it and you, you, you have the time where you like looking eye contact is something that you work on. And then when that starts to feel more comfortable, you work on something else and then you take another step. And it's just like having somebody that's there with you to kind of be like, okay, it's okay that like, I, I understand I don't know I don't want to get too personal but like you know it's okay to close your eyes right now it's okay to not look at me right now it's okay you know so that's I don't know yeah it's, it's trust and and it's like like I was saying before trauma is isolating and it makes it hard to trust and have those kind of healthy dynamics with people 
And like all of these things you're describing are, are incredibly involve an incredible amount of trust and intimacy. Um, and as someone that has experienced trauma, that can be just really hard to achieve. So taking those baby steps are actually like huge accomplishments. They may not look like a lot to the eye of a camera or to if some creepy person is watching from the corner of your room, which I hope is not <laughs> the case. But you know, it may not look like big, big movements, but it's actually moving mountains inside yeah, of you. Which I love when like a movie can show that, you know? Mm-hmm. When Laura said that you were looking at the corners of the room, you actually looked up because your ass was thinking Tony Collette and I know it. Yeah. It's always <laughs> lives like in the back of my head yeah well i have this cl- this door behind me and jen is always like is the babadook behind the door because oh, i have no. like a coat hook on the back of it this door look- and it creates like a little shadow it honestly you know? does even the hat too it looks like it's wearing a tall yeah hat. yeah it like the like little the fingers is back there. Yeah, i'm not i'm not yeah. gonna freak mm-hmm. you out don't make it worse <laughs> i know <laughs> well that's all i think about now because it's just the way i've wanted to like flip this office in the way that it's arranged but this carpet makes it really hard to drag all the furniture mm-hmm. around oh, yikes I may, before the summer is over, rearrange this whole office so the Babadook isn't uh, behind you. No, You're going to embrace the Babadook. He can be a guest. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you want to come on? <laughs> Hello! Okay. <laughs> I'll never do that again. Well, on that note, and now it's time for an uplifting moment. And this is where we share any grounding or coping techniques at any self-care that may have been particularly effective for us recently. Uh, grounding and coping techniques are the little tips, tricks, mantras, or practices that help us get through the tough days and moments. And self-care is anything that makes us feel good or feel better. Um, and I I painted my nails today. And I normally don't because, like, I just guess after having kids, like, I couldn't keep like you know there's also like when you paint your fingernails there is a substantial amount of time that you can't do anything with your hands you know and I am mm-hmm. right Makes I know I'm up. hardly ever not like typing or folding some kind of laundry or something and so it was nice like while I was watching this movie today I just I did my nails and I just sat and I just watched it and it was it was really nice so not only do like they they're like they're pink you know um so it's like a nice little thing to look at but also um it was a nice moment of just doing one thing that just just kind of a mindless thing. So, so that's mine. I love Anyone it. Anyone else love care that. to share? I have this stupid journal with lettering in it and calligraphy. Like I think I've talked before about doing lettering, but it's like you just trace some of it. You, you trace these stupid mantras or phrases with these two types of pen, and it teaches you two different styles of calligraphy. And then there's a little blank space where you can practice and write other little mantras. And I've been going through this pretty heavy duty therapy program um, and coming to some very intense emotional conclusions. Um, so it's a lot, you know, to be going through. But sometimes I'll just write down some little thing that's been occurring to me that I find helpful or like, a, you know, I hate the term mantra because it makes me feel like um, like a 1970s hippie, <laughs> but like, like somebody that's like getting into like like wellness in the 1970s. But nevertheless, whatever you want to call it, I'll write down a phrase over and over again that I find is like something I can use as a touchstone when I'm feeling really overwhelmed. So I've been liking doing that. Nice. Water off a duck's back. Yes, water off it. Exactly. Jinx Monsoon style. Speaking of water and all that. (laughs) I just, you know, I regularly see my therapist uh, twice a month. Love her. She is actually a big fan of your podcast. What? Oh, no. (laughs) He's a horror head. Oh, Oh, wow. You found 
the best therapist. I <laughs> really did. I really oh did. Uh, oh, I'm yeah. not self-conscious about that at all. <laughs> That's what Mary Beth said too. <laughs> yeah. And um, besides that, you know, I just, I do very short meditations like throughout the day, not every day, but on particularly stressful days, I am a fan of the like 90 second meditation. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I like to do longer ones, but I haven't really had any time for that. So yeah. those are what I do. And then like, I mean, I do bad stuff, like, <laughs> like go to the record shop and buy like five records at a time. So, <laughs> sometimes you just have to buy five yeah. records. Sometimes yeah. you just have to buy five records. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for me, it's been more trying to take care of my physical health. Like I just mm-hmm. got my knee operated on. So I'm going to go put it back up. Your uplifting moment my is uplifting literally moment, it's literally uplifting my leg <laughs> under a few pillows and continuing to watch movies in bed today. This is like the only thing I'm getting out of bed for today is to record. <laughs> but even before the surgery, like hitting the gym pretty much every day since like school has gotten out, watching what I ate. I took my daughter and her friend to like a theme park the day before surgery, which <laughs> maybe doing 10 miles on my feet. The day before knee surgery wasn't the best yes. idea. <sighs> Just roll up and you're like, Maybe. fix me. Like, yeah. I really fucked <laughs> yeah. it up yesterday, so help me out. Yeah. Get my Maybe getting worth. jostled around on some of these roller coasters. But um, <laughs> it's been an absolute, like, that to me, like, I love theme parts. So that mm-hmm. was really fun to kind of go to. So, yeah, it's really just trying to take, like, better physical care of myself so i find like the better i do with that the better my mental health feels like mm-hmm. the more energetic and lively that i feel so yeah. which is not today well ups and downs yeah. and today's down <laughs> yeah <laughs> well we want to hear from you uh do you have a phone in the shape of something whimsical what would your fake name be and what season <laughs> is it right now <laughs> <laughs> or what's your grounding and self-care or just what's on your mind what is the sexual disease that you've passed on to a partner what is your favorite sexual disease (laughs) yes just know these answers will be public so be careful share at your own discretion yes Um, you can answer these questions and more (laughs) by following us on socials at psycho a pod and you can also join our facebook group the psychoanalysis podcast support group which is a private and moderated space to share about things we talk about in the episodes or anything else that might be on your mind and you can also email us at psychoapod at gmail.com if you want to share anything privately. Um, maybe maybe not about your... <laughs> I mean, Please I don't, don't email us and tell us about your venereal disease. None of us are medical doctors. I don't yes. know what we would do with that information. Don't share it with us. <laughs> yeah, just Sorry I brought to... it up. Oh, no, no. no. Oh. I'm just, I'm just we were all it. thinking it. <laughs> I will share it with your mom. <laughs> oh. Like... Oh. Oh. <laughs> And if you have a spare moment, please give us a rate and review on Apple iTunes. (laughs) Share the information, not the disease. Yes. (laughs) Oh, yes. Please review us. It helps us. And give us five stars even after everything we just said. Right. Exactly. Um, It really helps other people find the podcast and it just makes us feel better. And uh, thank you to those of you who have already left us reviews. It really means a lot to us. Yeah, very quickly. So we have a Patreon that is up now. So if you go to patreon.com psychoanalysis podcast, we have four different tiers, three tiers for every month and then a special 
$50 tier where uh, a select number of listeners are going to be able to kind of choose the topic in one of the movies. But we have bonus content at every tier, um, including some stuff we're going to record like right after this as a way to say thanks for everyone that contributes. Your contributions go a long way to helping us, you know, get all of the materials we need to make this show actually happen. And we're really grateful for that. Um, and I want to give a shout out to our latest Patreon, Vanessa, um, who Hi, has Vanessa. just signed on at the, I believe, the starring Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter level. So nice. thank you so much for that. And we just posted our first bonus show, which is a treatment plan for the children of Elm Street as well as a look at nightmare disorder and lucid dream therapy. Ooh, awesome. Exciting stuff. And I, 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 I mean, when I say that, that's fun. Yeah. Our homework question for this week is, what is your favorite curse in a horror movie? Uh, so make sure to look out for that. I've been posting those on Saturdays. So what's up next for us? Well, our July theme is phobias. And we talked about Jaws last time. And I think this time we're going to be talking about a much smaller beast, though just as scary. And though this is a serious topic, I think this is going to be a, a, a more fun episode that I'm pretty excited about. We are flying the slithery skies and talking about 2006's Snakes on a Plane. <laughs> we Look, we had to give ourselves a break and we had to give all of you a break. And we decided right. to do that via Snakes on a Plane. <laughs> I know. I am <laughs> sure that we'll find a way to have tears during the episode. Somehow I'm going to cry. I'll be like, oh, I remember snake. that time my grandfather whipped me across the face with a gardener snake or something <laughs> was it whacking day memory. no he did used to throw light bulbs at us to share it at another he yeah you shared that story yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you kept saying things about your grandfather and i was like your grandfather sounds awful Mike. He, was, <laughs> he taught me to read but he also taught he also would steal tips from waitresses and throw light bulbs at us so and people so can be more than three. just one thing you know yes. yeah, yeah. gray areas we contain multitudes papa was a weirdo <laughs> <laughs> this snakes on a plane episode will get me to finally watch that movie because I've been afraid because I have a phobia of snakes. Us too, apparently. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, yeah. I'm the only one that's seen it. <laughs> I've never seen snakes. I was going to watch it last night and then I didn't get around to it. And yeah. uh, here we are still having not seen <laughs> well, snakes on a plane. In theaters, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that says about me, but I guess we'll find out in the next episode. <laughs> yeah. We are a member of the Consequence Podcast Network. You can find us there along with some other great pods by going to consequence.net. And Dax, where can we find you online and what's coming up next for Watched Once Never Again? You can find me on Twitter um, at Daxy Bobbin. I guess check the show notes for how to spell my name. Yeah. <laughs> we'll <laughs> um, post links. Yeah. Thank you. And um, at Wona Podcast, that's obviously for my podcast. Watch Once Never Again. We are covering some really disturbing shit coming up <laughs> very soon. But for anybody who may not listen, we aren't trying to traumatize you or anything. So we'll kind of briefly like go over the plot of the movie and then kind of just dig into why it's disturbing rather than, you know, recite the disturbing shit mm -hmm. other than that uh i don't know if i'm at liberty to say very much about it but i would follow at transploit book or uh, is it transploit book or at transploitation book i think it's at transploitation but i will post that link thank you that's exciting just a little hint mm, for i'm very intrigued 
or Yay. something there. That's an um, exciting project. So that's, I'm really excited about that. And I will say, if you like our show, you will love Watch Once Never Again. I feel like you're kind of approaching. Show. Yeah, it is. And I don't find it exploitative at all, even though you're talking about some really um, upsetting movies. And it's great no. for me because I'm too scared to watch some of those movies. Yeah, so. yeah same. I finally watched The Golden Glove. So I'm looking forward to listening to your episode on that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that I, was a movie. It's a hard movie to sit through, so I really like hearing other people kind of discuss those movies. There needs to be a word for appreciating the fact that I can talk about a lot of different shit with a movie (laughs) that doesn't imply that I like the movie, you know? I don't know. Um, Um, I feel like there must be a word for that, but I don't know. It's probably German. Probably. (laughs) They've got a word for everything. Speaking of which. (laughs) Yeah. um, We always say we watch the disturbing movies so you don't have to. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I love. I think that's such a fantastic idea because I have a longstanding habit of finding lists of the most, quote, disturbing films and then reading the full Wikipedia article on every one and then not watching the movies. So, (laughs) yeah, I've done that for many movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, we're the sick individuals. My wife reads Wikipedia articles about movies as we're watching them, and I hate that <laughs> so much. It oh, drives me yeah. like, why are you doing this? Just watch the movie. That's so there's, funny. There's safety it's in Wikipedia. not, though. It's not funny. It's. I know so many people who do that, too. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah. Um, we're sick, and we like to watch them, and then we get upset, and we're like, why are we upset? <laughs> oh, yeah, uh-huh. yeah yeah well and you know your co-host mary beth is going to be this is a spoiler for our next episode she's going to be joining us for a comfort horror episode as well coming up very soon which cool. i'm very excited about too so that so yes definitely exciting. make sure to check out watched once never again because it's a great show um <clears throat> mike where can we find you you can find me on twitter at mike underscore snoonian uh, you can find my other show, The Pod and the Pendulum, along with Lindsay Travis, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, in term, and I've done a bunch of guest spots le- recently. You can find me on Certified Forgotten, talking about Sweatshop. You can find me on the latest episode of Grumpire, where we talk about Toy Story 3 and Spider-Man 3. <laughs> and I go full in on why Spider-Man 3 is a masterpiece in Toy Story 3 is lesser pixar not bad but lesser (laughs) pixar i am in the minority there it's basically a redux of toy story 2 and you know what spoiler they were never going to burn those fucking toys in the incinerator okay (laughs) that was not gonna happen do it you cowards and then i just (laughs) just recorded with bloody blunt cinema to talk about the last exorcism and the exorcism of emily rose and I've got an article in the latest issue of We Are Horror talking about post-9-11 horror, like the kind of uh, rise of torture porn and how that confronted audiences with what we were doing to uh, others overseas. So you can find that if you're a patron of like We Are Horror. So there you go. Nice. Laura, where can we find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter. At Underalls, U-N-D-E-R-A-L-L-S. Much like, and you know what? The movie is setting me up for this. I have no choice. It's <laughs> much like uh, the 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 panties that you just find ripped and covered in piss. <laughs> after, no, you know what? I'm going to stop. It's at Underalls, U-N-D-E-R-A-L-L-S. <laughs> Look, 
just imagery from going. the movie. <laughs> I have to just theme my cut my sign offs around this, and I just I had no choice. Uh, <laughs> that's where you can find me on Twitter, <laughs> and I'm occasionally on the Losers Club and Halloweenies podcasts as well. That's it. <laughs> I got nothing else going on. I'm just sitting here making shitty air dry pottery in my very humid apartment. Oh, it's cool pottery. You can find me at Jim Ferratu on all of the socials. You can find me also co-hosting the Losers Club. And we have a lot of really fun and exciting stuff coming up, including Castle Rock Season 3, our dramatic script reading audio drama thing, which is Yes, so I'm, I have fun. a very small role in that. I Very, very small, but I did enjoy recording. <laughs> it was really fun. Um, and we're wrapping up. Uh, coverage of Lisey's story and then you can also find me on the white ladies in crisis podcast on the anatomy of a scream network where we're talking about the apple plus show physical which is so much fun if you like glow you will like physical and yeah just writing stuff and taking names i guess and yeah that's that's where you can find me and yeah so that's our episode on it follows Dax, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for joining us. It was fun. It was emotional. It was um, it was wonderful. So thank you so it was much. A time. Yeah, yeah. we you. had a time. I appreciate it. Oh yeah, thank we you. We had, had a time. time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> listeners, thank you for spending time with us. Uh, please make sure to take care of yourselves and each other. And with that, let's sign off. We came here to chew bubble gum and take care of ourselves. And we're, and we're all out of all out of bubble gum. <laughs> Thank God we have pain meds. <laughs> <laughs>